for the privileges given to us. I want to welcome everyone who is joining us online and everyone who is in the hall today. Our God is a good God. It's good to see you all. We are in a series uh, titled Unraveling the Mystery of Godliness. Unraveling the Mystery of Godliness. We started it last week, as you can see in the banner. Our star will be going down the list as we move from week to week. So this week we are on session two, which is the power of justification. If you have not listened to the message, please go online and look for that message. Go to LifeGate Outreach TV or go to your podcasts and look for LifeGate Outreach Center and download it and make sure you have it all saved so that you can follow the whole nine parts uh, again when we finish them. But we started last week by looking at Manifested in the Flesh. So this session is the second of that series and it is titled the power of justification, the power of justification. Now, as we established last week, we said that the mystery of godliness is something that became part of our, uh, 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 something that God himself established through the coming of Jesus Christ and also imputed into our lives that we should also be partakers we read and we will be reading through this series, at least the first five parts of this series, we'll be reading 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. Let's read it together again. Wherever you are, you can see it on your screen, even if you're online. Let's go together. One, two. And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifested in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen by angels, preached among the Gentiles, believed on in the world, and received up in glory. Hallelujah. God was manifested in the flesh. We saw that last week. And we saw and emphasized on the importance of us understanding why we are manifested in the flesh in the first instance. That if Jesus had to be manifested in the flesh, we also have a purpose for being manifested in the flesh, for being born. So please listen to that message and we, I believe you'll be blessed by it. But the Bible says he was also justified in the spirit. So the child that was manifested in the flesh also became justified in the spirit. And this is very important for us as we focus on it today. Justification is the process of confirmation of righteousness on a person. When a person becomes born, they are born in the flesh, manifested in the flesh. The principle of justification is what causes us to become righteous. It imputes and confers the status of righteousness unto us when we become born again. This is what Jesus said to Nicodemus, except a man be born again. Except a man submits himself to the process of justification, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And I emphasized last week that as important as being manifested in the flesh is, we must see that it is useless if we don't get our lives to the point whereby we are justified in the spirit. And I said yesterday, last Sunday that a lot of people confuse this. The man that is manifested in the flesh can do anything. He can build anything. He can perform any surgery. He can draw anything. He can do anything that you can see. Because that man is operating under the dominion mandate that was given to man at creation. That is irreversible. 
And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful, multiply, replenish the earth, subdue it, and have dominion. You don't need to be justified to walk in that pronouncement. It goes to everyone that is formed in the flesh. And so this has been a problem for many years because many times people say, if people can achieve those things without being born again, what is the essence of being born again? And this is why we believers must be able to not only defend our faith, but explain to the people we share our faith with to see that the manifestation in the flesh is not the ultimate goal of God. God wants everyone to come into justification through his son. Jesus said in John 3, 3, except a man be born again, it is going to be a waste of his life. There was a time he said, what will it profit a man? Mark 8, 36. If he gains the whole world and then he loses his own soul because he refuses to submit to justification. So justification is that process that confirms righteousness on us. Everyone manifested in the flesh is expected to submit themselves. It is an act of grace that we connect to by faith. It is an act of grace the grace of God, Titus 2.11, you hear me quote it a lot of time, has appeared to all men, but only those who have come by faith are saved. If faith is not needed, the grace that has appeared to all men will make all men saved. But grace in itself does not make all men saved. Grace wants the marriage of faith that comes from as many who want to receive the gift of of God in Jesus Christ before salvation can happen. And so every one of us must understand this. The Bible says, and Noah found grace, Genesis 6, 8. And Noah found grace with the Lord. And he moved with godly fear. So he became justified. So we all must understand, and I know by now every member of this church should know the difference between the justification in the Old Testament and justification in the New Testament. I'll still talk a little about it, but it's important for us to see. In our Bible reading today, earlier on, those of you that may not be aware, we read from Matthew chapter 3, from verse 1 to verse 17. Pastor Moses led us in that bit earlier on in the service. And it was a story of John the Baptist, who was like a forerunner of Christ, telling people about the coming of Christ. And he was baptizing them and telling them that this baptism would translate you into the kingdom. Now, before Jesus came, that was the approved way of people identifying with the gift of God. It, was, it has to be done through the symbolism of baptism. And if you listen to Peter's message in Acts chapter 3, after they got, uh, Acts chapter 2, and they said, men and brethren, what shall we do after they got the feeling of the Holy Spirit? And all those people came from everywhere and said, ah, we're hearing us, we're hearing our, our, our languages from what all of you Galileans are saying. So, men and brethren, what shall we do? Peter said, believe on the Lord, repent and be baptized and you shall be saved. So Peter was kind of carrying on that concept until it became clearer to them that all they needed to do was just to give their life to Jesus Christ and accept him as Lord and Savior. While baptism is a good form of it, but it doesn't necessarily have to be that that is the symbolism. Since Jesus died and rose again. But before that time, and this is why Jesus himself came and submitted himself to that process. Let's read Mark chapter 3 from verse 13. 
Let's go together. Please, you need to follow me very well. And as I always say, you need to write some scriptures, some of the scriptures. I will quote them. I will just I need you to write them down so that when you are listening to the message or following your notes and developing later, you can see how it all fits together very well. The word of God is deep. Some of these scriptures that I'm telling you and some of these things I've been saying to you, I've been learning them since I was a child. And I tell you, the more I read them, the more I understand clearer and clearer. It is a deep mystery, the word of God. Hallelujah. Matthew chapter 3 from verse 13. The Bible says, Then Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. Jesus came to submit himself to the ordinance that was approved as a way of justification at that point in time. For a reason. To help us see that when he does that and he comes through the process of justification in the spirit, we also have been given a process after he died and rose again to accept his birth, his death, his resurrection particularly, and become justified in the spirit as well. But look at what he said and verse 14. John tried to prevent him saying, I need to be baptized by you and you are coming to me. Now it sounds good. It sounds okay because, of course, this is the Savior. Well, look at what Jesus said to him. Let's read verse 15 together. Everybody, verse 15. Please go to verse 15. He said, but Jesus answered and said to him, permit it to be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he allowed him. From that point... He instituted a new order for righteousness. The next phrase, that the next verse will tell us what happened to Jesus that now confirmed that as many who now submit to this new order, which will now be in him, will also have the same validation. He said, permit it to be so for now. For thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he allowed him. Let's read verse 16 together. He said, when, let's go together. When he had been baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water. And behold, the heavens were opened to him. And he saw the spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting upon him. Verse 17, let's shout verse 17 as much as we can. And suddenly a voice came from heaven saying, This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. From that very point, God ordained the process of validation of sonship as a proof to justification. Now, God knew that Jesus was his son. He sent him. <laughs> the Bible says he sent his only begotten son. So he wasn't telling Jesus to remind him that he was his son. No. He was using it as a form that this new order of righteousness that will do, that will not need bulls and rams and goats and even physical baptism will be input into my son that I am validating before you today. That in him I am well pleased. He is my beloved son and in him I am well pleased. 
Every one of us must understand this. John 1.12 says, for this purpose, he said, for, for as many that received him, he now then gave them power to become the sons of God, the children of God. These children are no more physical children, but the real children of God. Paul explained this principle in Romans chapter 3, from verse 21. He said, but now righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Verse 22. Even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ. Everybody say the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ. To all. Say to all. And on all who believe. Even the, say it again. Even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all and on all who believe for there is no difference. Why did he say for there is no difference? Verse 23, we've quoted it before, you know it, Romans 3.23, he said for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Everyone manifested in the flesh is is automatic sinner. The day that child said, yeah, that is another sinner born. (laughs) I know you don't want to hear that, but that is the truth. (laughs) We can't be holier than God. That is the cry of a sinner that commits you to a lifetime of making sure that that person becomes justified, that they become born again. He said, for we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. 24, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. The redemption in Christ Jesus is what he did on the cross of Calvary by shedding his blood once and for all so that no more will there be a need for any other kind of shedding of blood. He said, whom God set forth, verse 25, whom God set forth for the propitiation by his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance, God had passed over the sins that were previously committed. Justification through the blood of Jesus wipes away every sin that had existed before you. Every sin, the one that was committed before you were born, that made you born a sinner, plus the one that you yourself committed up to the point that you submitted yourself to that blood, are blotted out. Hallelujah. When sins are erased, they can no longer be made to come alive. Now, I will explain the difference between a sinner and a justified person who falls into sin. Believers make this mistake. A sinner is somebody who has not come to Christ at all. So stop saying that I am still a sinner saved by You are no more a sinner. If you are born again, you are now the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. But if you sin, you are a righteous person who fell into sin. And there is a way of escape even for that. It's not to permit it or to validate it or to say it is a good way of living. In fact, it's a difficult way of living. If you have to be falling and rising and falling and rising, you will limit your own speed. Yeah? Have you seen people running this uh, four by four, these uh, hurdles, and they, they jump the first hurdle, they jump the next hurdle, and everybody's hailing them. They are ahead of everybody. 
And then suddenly they lost focus. They are now acknowledging the cheers because they, they have run past every other person that is on the track with them. And then on the third hurdle, they, they, they crossed and they, they tripped and fell. What is going to happen to them? All the people coming from behind, they run past them. The man who seemingly was winning now, now he will now have to do a lot to catch up emotion, even though he is still allowed to continue in the race. That is exactly how sin is. The Bible says, let us run that race and the sin that easily beset us, let us not allow them. Looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. So we have to keep pressing on as the righteous. So justification gives us a new status as the righteousness of God. And so it is important for us. He said he gave us this, verse 26 says, to demonstrate at the present time his righteousness, that he might be just, that he might be just and the justifier. He is just and he is the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. The one who has faith in Jesus. Every one of us must understand that this is what justification is. We come to the justifier by faith in Jesus. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. When, Jesus, when God said concerning him that this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased, and he made him the standard for our justification, the Bible says, for he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us. He carried all our sins, nailed them to his cross. He said that is why we now become the righteousness of God in him. We cannot do anything to become righteous. There is no amount of activity that we can do to become righteous. All we need is our faith. The grace of God brings him who knew no sin to be sin for us, taking away our sin, nailing them to the cross. But we must become those who come by faith to say, Lord, we believe and we accept you as our Lord and Savior. Righteousness is imputed to us by faith. We saw it right from the Old Testament. You see, the Old Testament, as we all know, is a shadow of the new. So everything that you see in the Old Testament, especially when you hear the word of God, the Old Testament, the word of God, the word of God came. That is Jesus. The word of God was given. That is Jesus. Because the Bible says in John chapter 1, that word, we read it last week, and that word became flesh. So that is why we knew that it is, it, he has always been the word. When God speaks the word, he is Jesus manifested. Later on, Jesus manifested in the flesh and went to the cross. But we almost understand this very importantly. The word that came to everyone, believed in the Old Testament, made them justified. I told you about Noah. He moved with fear. He became justified. Genesis chapter 15, we read about Abraham from verse 5. God called him and brought him to many places. And he said to him, he said, look now toward heaven and count the stars. If you are able to number them. And he said, so shall your descendants be. And let's read verse 6 together. Verse 6. This was a man who did not, there was no law existing. Jesus had not yet come. But look at what happened to him. Let's read it together. And he believed in the Lord and he accounted it to him for righteousness. He imputed righteousness into a man that believed in the word of the Lord. So righteousness is an act of faith. Righteousness is something we embrace as an act of faith. Every one of us must understand this. I am laying some foundations here because I'm going to tell you what the power of this justification is. But you see, there are many believers who get confused about their status. When you are confused about your status, you cannot make the most of who you really are. 
Every one of us must understand this. It is important for us. The Bible says, and he believed in the Lord and it was accounted to him. Some translation says it was imputed to him. Some translation say it was conferred on him. Everything about righteousness is God giving it to us. Giving us that status. Not something we took of ourselves. Not something we earned for ourselves. But something he gave us because we came to his divine order by faith. So we must both believe and confess to demonstrate this faith. Romans chapter 10 verse 9. He said that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus if you confess the mouth, if you confess, sorry, verse, let me read the previous verse. Romans chapter 10, verse 9, for me, please. Thank you. Romans 10, 9. Thank you. That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, this is what makes you different from everybody else that believe that Jesus came and is a prophet. Or Jesus came and he is anything else. He's just another historic figure. Even believing that he was born of a virgin. As good as that may be, you and I must understand that if you confess with your mouth Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You believe that God raised him from the dead. I'm giving you a little bit of Christian apologetics here. When you are sharing your faith with somebody that needs to be born again and they tell you they believe Jesus, they accept Jesus, they know Jesus, the key thing they need to demonstrate in their heart and confess in their mouth is that Christ was raised from the dead by God. Everybody that cannot accept that cannot be born again. Many people accept that he came and he died. But the resurrection from the dead is a, is a dispute for many. And the Bible says for anyone to be justified in that spirit, he must believe that Christ was raised from the dead. Verse 10 now says, For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Every one of us must continue to understand this, that we believe it in our heart. A question came in the course of our Bible study last week, last Wednesday. Very good question. And somebody asked about what happens to a person who does not have capacity to take a decision. Maybe they have a mental health challenge. How do they get born again? And I thought about it. I never really had that question before, I must admit. But I thought about it and I remember this verse. That the Bible says, for with the heart man believes unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. You must have some capacity to be able to believe in your heart and confess with your mouth. If you don't have that capacity, God cannot judge you by it. <laughs> God cannot judge you by what he has not given to you. He said to whom much is given, much is expected. So if you lack capacity to take that decision, then that means that God himself will justify you the way he chooses. He will justify you out of his grace because you have no capacity to demonstrate faith. The same thing with very, very young children. And I, I said very, very young children because when I was young, we used to say about 13. That, that has been many years ago. <laughs> now, five years, I think you are responsible. Because <laughs> you can operate a tablet. You can even drive. Some of them can drive. <laughs> it's just that they are not telling you. <laughs> so we don't know the age, but you have to really be an infant and somebody who cannot take basic decisions for you not to be held accountable 
for the fact that you need to believe in your heart and confess with your mouth. Now, I want to quickly tell you some things about justification. We said this is the power of justification. You see, believers think the only power of justification is I'm born again, I'm waiting for heaven to happen. But there's more to it. Every one of us must understand the Bible says that we used to be in a dominion called dominion of darkness, Colossians 1.13. And then God rescued us into the dominion of his dear son. He translated us. You cannot be taken away from a dominion of gnashing and weeping and into a dominion of, of darkness, of gnashing and weeping, into a dominion of light and yet be living a frustrated life. It is not permitted. I did not say a, 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 a trial-free life. I did not say a persecution-free life. I said a frustrated life. There are two different things. Persecution exists in the kingdom we are in. Trials exist in the kingdom we have been translated into. Because some people got born again and they told them that the day you get born again, all your problems are over. Those were the demonic things that people were sold. So the first problem they see, they backslide. They say, they told me my problems should be over. This is a big problem. I'm going. <laughs> I came here not to have problem. <laughs> Why am I having problem? I'm going, I'm going back to that place where I know that there is problem anyway. <laughs> Hallelujah. But the reality is that God did not promise us. In fact, Jesus himself, John 16, 33, said, In this world, you will have tribulation. You who have been translated into this, my kingdom, will have tribulation. But God, be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. That is what makes it a difference. That's what makes it difference. Every one of us must understand. So I want to give you three things that justification empowers us as believers. Number one. We have the assurance of salvation. As basic as this sounds, it is very important. If you are not assured of your salvation, you cannot live confidently as a Christian. You cannot. This is the guarantee that we are no longer under condemnation. Every day the devil comes and tells you you are not qualified. Remember this was your life. Remember this was who you were before you got born again. This is who you are. You cannot be. You cannot be called. And he, he, many people continue to... He, the Bible says he accused the brethren day and night. So when they are at work, he's accusing them. When they are at sleep, he's still accusing them. He's always accusing them. You cannot be justified. You are not qualified for justification. But the power of justification is that it assures us that we have been delivered. Romans chapter 8 verse 1, you can write it down. It says, there is therefore now no condemnation for us who are in Christ Jesus. Who walk not in the flesh, but in the spirit. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set us free from the law of sin and death. Romans 8 2. The law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus this law that was holding us was called the law of sin and death for the wages of sin is death. Now we became justified and we became those who are now no longer under the law of sin and death but now are in the law of the spirit of life in Christ. Every believer should be empowered by this because it is very easy for many people not to run their race because the devil keeps hounding them about their sins. And so it is very important for us to understand. John chapter 3 verse 18. The Bible says that for God did not, verse 17 says, For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through him. Verse 18 says, And this is the condemnation. 
This is the condemnation. He said that condemnation is that light has come in through darkness, but the wickedness of people, I'm paraphrasing, did not allow them to embrace that light. So as many who have come into the light, you can no longer be under that condemnation. Hallelujah. John 1 verse 12 said, But as many as received him, to them he gave power to become the children of God, to those who believe in his name. The word children here also means sons. It talks about children in the context of being born again into a new kingdom, but it also talks about sonship. The same word that God gave, that Jesus was spoken about in Matthew chapter 3, verse 17, that we read this morning, that said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. As many that received him, he gave them right to also become the same sons of God because they believe in his name. Verse 13 says, these people are born not of blood. That is to tell us that it's not our first birth. Not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but what? Of God. The only way they are born of God is by submitting themselves to the propitiation of sins that have been given to them by Christ. Every one of us must stand in the place. The Bible says we must stand therefore in the liberty wherewith Christ has made us free. Everyone must continue to walk in the assurance of salvation. Friends, there is a world that is waiting for the manifestation of the sons of God. Romans 8, 19. If the sons of God are still confused whether they are sons of the devil or sons of their father and mother in this planet, then the world has no hope. <laughs> they are waiting not for confused people. They are waiting for the manifestation of the sons of God. So the sons of God must be sure that they know who they are. Have you seen a lecturer that walks into a room that was not prepared or they asked him to take a, a class that he didn't, you would know clearly that he was not his class. You see how he will be, be talking all kinds of nonsense. <laughs> and then he'll be talking about premiership and all those things. <laughs> After five minutes of reading something that they gave him, he will say, did you watch yesterday's match? Because he's trying to kill the time. <laughs> you will know. You should guys know that this man is just... <laughs> He's not sure of this thing at all. But when the man that knows what he's doing is there, four hours, he will hold you spellbound. Every minute, you will be like that, writing, writing. Because he's sure, he knows it. Many years ago, when I started out my career, about 30 years ago now, before I had practical experience, when I was teaching things I'd never seen in, in, in theory, I would tell them, if they are looking at me, one can say, go and read it up. Oh, look at me like that. Because I've never seen it myself, but I know it's in the book, and I told you, why are you harassing me? <laughs> Don't harass my life. You to go and read it some more. But as I grew and got experience and started to actually take those decisions on real projects, it changed my delivery. Now I will tell them a little bit of theory and tell them much more about the things I have done and tell them practically and show them sights and pictures and real things. And then it makes much more sense because I am sure of it. I've been tested by it. You understand what I'm saying? So it is important that we must be assured of this salvation. Some of us got born again ten times and we're still not sure. 
if you're under the sound of my voice, make it finally today. Please, I beg you. <laughs> make it today. Tell yourself today is the day I will be born again and that's it. <laughs> you got born again in 1990. After five years, you are not sure. One preacher came again. He said, all of you here that are not born again, you are going to hell. You say, I don't want to go to hell. <laughs> he said, if you want to get born again, come out. You went out again. I said, pray for me. <laughs> I don't want to go to hell. Pray for me. <laughs> I told you of one film that they used to bring to us in secondary school called Burning Hell. That film, if you watch it and you did not get born again, I don't know where your hope is. <laughs> I don't know what your hope is. The day I knew that that film was powerful was that they, they, they finished showing us. <laughs> and then one of the evangelists that brought it when they were doing altar call, he took him and nailed down and said, ah! <laughs> I said, ah, this man, you are, the, <laughs> you are the man who brought this film. You are the evangelist. You, so who is going to <laughs> who is going to pray for us now? <laughs> so some messages can come like that and prick your conscience and let you know you need to understand your status. When you are born again, the Bible says there is a witness in our spirit that we are the sons of God. Romans eight fourteen. There is a witness within us. Something keeps telling you that you are the son of God. So every one of us must be assured in this. Number two, we have peace with God. Romans chapter 5 verse 1. We have peace with God. I'm looking for Romans 5 1. Thank you. It said, therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Justification gives us peace with God. You see, and peace with God doesn't just mean that we, 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 God is not angry at us. Or we are not angry with him. So we are at peace. That's what it looks like in the literal term. Which is true. But it's much more than that. You see, peace with God is what gives us the power to have the peace of God. Say with me, peace with God is what gives me the power to have the peace of God. The peace of God is what you need. Yes, justification gives you peace with God, but the peace of God is what you need. Friends, the peace of God is what keeps you stable. One of the things we are going to learn as part of this series is stability by righteousness. Being able to be stable, to stand, regardless of what is thrown at you. Philippians chapter 4, verse 6, we will quote it very much. It said, do not be anxious for anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. But verse 7, we don't usually quote it. Verse 7 says, let the peace of God guard your hearts. Let the peace of God guard your heart. So, you may, this is Philippians 4 now and 6 and 7. Philippians 4 verse 6 and 7 if you want to write it down. He said, let the peace of God guard your heart. So, the thing, we always quote Proverbs 4.23. What? Guard your heart with all diligence for out of it are the issues of life. So, the thing that guards your heart really is not you but the peace of God. 
When you have the peace of God, that is the way it shields your heart. The word God there means shield. It protects your heart from all kinds of arrows, bad news, all kinds of things that people throw and the enemy throws from time to time. Your heart is guarded from those things. You cannot be a bearer or be somebody influenced by bad news because your heart is guarded by the peace of God. It is part of your reward. It is part of your lifestyle as somebody who is justified. So justification gives us power to have the peace of God. Peace with God and the peace of God. Colossians 3.15 also, you can write that down. The Bible says, let the peace of God rule in your heart. So it guards your heart, it also rules in your heart. This is what keeps you going for many years. When I watch some of the people, men and women that have gone ahead of us, and I ask myself, how do these men and women survive 50 years in ministry, 60 years in ministry, some of them still going on. Some of them have lost children along the way. Somebody like uh, Chuck Swindle. Uh, uh, um, Chuck Swindle has probably lost about three children, doing two or so children. One, completely mental when he was very, you know, in his 20s, then another one died like that. And this man is still going 60-something years later in ministry. Say, Lord, what is it? It must be the peace of God that makes it impossible for the storms of life to make chaotic things affect them. The Jesus that was justified in the spirit when he was in the boat in Mark chapter 4, when everybody was shouting, hey, don't you care if we perish? Hey, don't you care if we perish? Jesus, you are sleeping. What did he say? He stood up and he said, peace, be still. The man that has the peace of God always commands his environment. If you have the peace of God, you always command your environment. Those of you that work with children or work with people that need help and they can become very turbulent and disturbed a lot, you need to know how to say, peace, be still. You need to know how to say, peace, be still. So that your work can be easier. Praise the Lord. Don't do some freak thing that will make them think that you are doing more than this. <laughs> Don't go there and say, <laughs> Please, mister. And they now put you in the group too. I say, you too. <laughs> From all indications, your signs are also showing that. <laughs> you say, no, nothing is wrong. Ah, no, 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 give us some time. We need to make some assessments. <laughs> so use wisdom. <laughs> Blast your tongue in your car. Blast it in your car. Blast it in the bus. Wherever you are going to the work. Blast it, blast it, blast it. When you enter the place, say, peace be still. You see all of them behave. <laughs> Hallelujah. When I first came to this country, almost 20 years ago, I was, giving a, I was a PhD student, but I was giving some visiting lecturer work to do, to teach in my, in my university. And um, the first day I went into the class, all of them were looking at me like this. What has this one got to say? <laughs> so they were so unruly. All of them, they were on their phones. This was 2001. Phones were not like today. There's no internet, nothing. So when somebody's on the phone, I mean, no, no smartphones, rather. When somebody's on the phone, they're actually talking and texting. Those are the only things you do on the phone in 2001. In the class, they were talking as if they were just trying to test my metal. 
and for me to be frustrated. They don't know where I'm coming from. <laughs> where I'm coming from. Frustration is the last thing that comes to our domain. <laughs> we are born to face frustration. <laughs> so I saw that I have to take command of that class. And you know what I did? I started praying. The first time I turned around, I said, you know, they should be okay. I noticed that after some time, they start again. And I noticed that this, I can command spiritually. So when I'm walking to the class, I'm going, Peace be still, peace be still. When I enter, as if some angels come and knock on their head when they're talking. <laughs> because when you see some of them want to talk, their own mates will say, come on, go play. Like, so I say, hey. <laughs> so we don't know what it means to walk in the peace of God many times. Couples is a big secret. Whether you are the man or the woman, at times the devil can take it anyone. <laughs> you just pray against it. But if he took, if he take it your spouse, how do you know? And the man is coming or the woman is coming and is just talking what you know is nonsense. It's not the word of God. You're just talking things. We are finished. This house, all I don't know, all those kind of things. Don't stay there arguing. If you want to argue, the devil will be fed his food. Go to your bathroom. Lock yourself in and say, Prakutu shibleliku, papa, Peace be still. <laughs> when you come out of the bathroom, she say, honey, say, hey. <laughs> it took me over five years to understand this miracle. <laughs> I used to stay there and try to argue and counsel and lay, uh, and then I said, no, 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 no. So I told her the same thing. If you find me under any tension, just. <laughs> Go and decree peace be still. Hallelujah. <laughs> you do it with your children, with everything. I'm telling you, as funny as these things sound, they are powerful. You have a boss who just wants to make life very difficult for you. And then you are opportune to have a meeting. These days, you do virtual meetings a lot. So, you ask them to put on their video. Don't say, they say, can you please put on your video? When his video is on, you look into his picture and say, Kraputo Suprana. <laughs> Peace be still. <laughs> right across cyberspace, you will start to see his behavior. <laughs> Hallelujah. We need to understand how to operate the peace of God. Number three. Number three. Justification gives us the power of sanctification. Now, many people don't know the difference between justification and sanctification. And I'll try to make some comparisons. Justification is the very first thing that we must have. Every time we get born again, we are justified. But that confers on us the ability to now be sanctified. Sanctification is a continual process. Justification is a one-time affair. When you have the faith and you come to Jesus Christ, you are justified. But sanctification will remain in place for the rest of your journey here on earth. That is 1 John 1, 9. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. But if we confess and forsake our sins, he is faithful and just to cleanse us from unrighteousness. The process of cleansing from unrighteousness is called sanctification. Sanctification. That is why I say there is a difference between a sinner and a believer who committed sin. A sinner needs justification first. A sinner needs to be justified to become righteous. 
But once he is now justified and he becomes righteous, he needs the power of God for salvation. 2 Corinthians 3, 18. The Bible says, For we all are beholding him as in a mirror, are being transformed from one image of glory to the other. We are being transformed from one image of glory to the other. That is what sanctification does for us. Sanctification is what helps you to overcome anger. It helps you to overcome all kinds of tendencies that are not of God, even after you are born again. Some things drop quicker than others. Let's be real. Some things refuse to go for a long time. Do you think they are gone until you are tested again? You say, ah, this thing is still here. <laughs> it's still here. You need the power of God for sanctification to continue to overcome. We need sanctification in three areas. We need sanctification over the flesh to give us power over the flesh. Romans 7, verse 24 and 25. Paul said, if you read the whole of Romans 7, it's a very lovely chapter that Paul was very real. Paul was talking about how difficult it can be to be a Christian, to stand for God. That so many things are worrying in his members. The things he has said he doesn't want to do anymore. He finds himself doing those things. The thing that he said he wants to do, he finds it impossible to do those things. He said, oh, in verse 24, he said, oh, wretched man that I am, Romans 7, 24. Who will deliver me from this body of death? He said, I thank God through what? Jesus Christ, our Lord. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. I thank God through my justification that I am now sanctified. He says, so then with the mind, I myself will serve the law of God. But with the flesh, the law of sin. By flesh shall no man prevail. Don't try to be a Christian in the flesh. It is impossible. This flesh is sinful. This flesh likes sin. It enjoys sin. It does everything that is contrary to the spirit. And so you must understand how to put it under by the law of God that Paul was talking about here. He said, I myself serve the law of God, the law of the spirit of life. Romans 8, 2. The law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. He said, that is what I serve. I thank God through Jesus Christ. Basically, I have the law of the spirit of life in Christ. I now serve the law of God. That is why when Peter, James, and John went to pray with Jesus Christ, and he went, after one hour, he came back, he saw that they were sleeping. And he came and went back again, he saw that they were sleeping. What did he say to them? He said, I can see. He said, sleep on. He said, I can see that the spirit is willing, but the flesh is, the flesh, the flesh is weak. Your spirit man may be bubbly, but you must allow the bubbliness of your spirit man to speak to your flesh all the time. If you want to wake up in the morning to pray, and you want to rely on alarm and your flesh alone, in fact, the two of them, they know how to work together. <laughs> your alarm will be blasting like this. I have one, I have one very nice song in my alarm. One of the Hillsong songs. I've put it since 2013. I've never changed. I've changed phones a couple of times, but it's always been my alarm. When I first had it, when the song is playing, I'll be dancing in my sleep. <laughs> Instead of waking up, I'll be following the song to dance. Then suddenly I'll see that 30 minutes has gone. <laughs> because when it ends, it will start again. When it ends, it will start again. Then I saw that this alarm is not my savior. <laughs> 
I must pray that my spirit man, I still have it, I still use it, but until I pray that my spirit man hears the sound as well and say it's time to wake up, then it speaks to my flesh. So when I hear the alarm, yes, I enjoy the song, I dance for just 10 seconds, then I get up. <laughs> I don't continue for five minutes dancing that, wow, this is what. <laughs> The law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus sets us free from the law. We must have victory over the flesh. The flesh wants you to spend more than you can spend at any time. It wants you to eat too much. The flesh wants you to sleep too much. The flesh wants you to have everybody that you want. If you are talking of people of the opposite sex. The flesh just wants to satisfy itself every time. The flesh wants to holiday every time. It doesn't like to work. The flesh wants to overwork so that you can make money. The flesh wants to do everything that is contrary to the wisdom in the spirit. But sanctification helps us to keep overcoming the flesh. That's number one. Then we also overcome sanctification. We overcome the world. Say, I overcome the world. 1 John 5, 4. Say, for whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world. Our faith. Our faith. Who is there? Who, who is he who overcomes the world? But he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. Verse 5. Who is he who overcomes the world? But he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. We overcome the world and we believe that Jesus is the Son of God by faith. Friends, every one of us must understand. The Bible says in 1 John 2.15, we're not turning to it, but I was just reminded now, and I want you to note it down. It says, love not the world and the things that are in this world. See, because if you love the world, anyone that loves the world is an enemy. It's an enemy of God. It's an enmity with God. The love of the world is enmity with the world. With, with God. He said, for in the world, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life, these are the things in the world. We dealt with these things some time back when we we're talking about the state of our hearts. Every one of us must understand the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life are worldly things that we must deal with. The God of this world continues to use it to blind the eyes of unbelievers. Believers and those who are being sanctified must recognize that we have power over them. You have power over your behavior. You have power over the things that you need to do. What just happens many times is that the wisdom that God gives to us to deploy that power, we don't use it. And then we say that we have now been tempted. James said, when anyone is tempted, don't say God is tempting me. He said, you yourself allowed your lusts to drive you into that temptation. Every one of us must understand that we must continue to demonstrate by sanctification our power over the world. This is very important for us as Christians because everyone needs to come to the place whereby those things that the enemy keeps using to stop us, those things that the enemy keeps using to make our spiritual journey a difficult one, should no longer be able to have their stronghold. And then the third thing we have power over through sanctification is over the devil. So sanctification gives us power over the flesh, over the world, and over the devil. James chapter 4 verse 7, the Bible says, Therefore submit to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Therefore submit to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Every one of us must understand that our submission to God gives us power over the devil. 
It gives us power over the devil. Your submission to God is not just a religious thing. Luke 10, 19, he said, I have given you authority. I have given you authority over the works of darkness, over the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. I have given you authority. So you must learn how to use your authority and use it correctly over the devil. Everywhere you see the manifestation of the devil in the lives of people, in your life, in your domain, in your area, you rebuke him. We are not wrestling against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. They are the rulers of darkness, the agents of the devil. Every one of us must understand that God has given us power over them all. Hallelujah. This is important for you to be. Otherwise, what is the difference between you and those that are not born again? What is the difference between you and those that are still manifested in the flesh, but not yet justified in the spirit? Say, I have power over the devil. Every one of us need to exercise. And the way you know you have power over the devil is not just by having a, a trouble-free life. It is being able to know how to confront the devil. How to confront the devil. When you recognize him, you rebuke him in the name of Jesus. He said to Peter, says, Satan desires to sift you like wheat, but I have prayed for you that your faith will not fail. So he's praying for you as you submit yourself to him in justification. He's praying for you consistently. Continue to rebuke the devil and the assurance is that he will flee from us. Hallelujah. I want you all to grow in these words. Keep thinking about these things. It is The life of a Christian is not a trouble-free life. Far from it. But it is a life that is full of power that must be deployed at the right time, the right way. The justification that we have is not a justification that will just take us to heaven. Thank God for that. It will. But the justification we have, let's go to Romans chapter 8. The justification we have is all about glory. That's why we are doing the series and rounding up in manifesting to glory. The justification we have in Romans chapter 8 verse 29. He said, for whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. The justification we have is to take us to conformity with the image of his son. To conformity with the image of his son. He said that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. And verse 30, he said, moreover, sorry, moreover them, verse 30, thank you. Moreover, whom he predestined, this he also called. This he also justified. And whom he justified, this he also glorified. Your justification is ultimately all about glory. Glory about when we see him, when he appears, but also glory of life eternal here on earth. The justification is a state that gives you victory every time. Live in the fullness of it. Understand fully well that the power is in your mouth. The Bible says the word is nigh thee, even in your mouth. Romans chapter 10, verse 8. He said the power is nigh thee, even in your mouth. Declare so that you can be justified. I believe in teaching people how to exercise their authority much more than just praying for people. These days we have churches that just pray for people, pray for people. And there's nothing wrong in praying for people. But when believers are given their authority, I read Kenneth Higgins' book, Believer's Authority, in 1986. And I say, ha, this is the secret. A believer must know their authority because your pastor and your brother will not always be there. 
in the middle of the night. You must know your authority to know how to rebuke the enemy and to tell the enemy not to harass you any longer. You need to learn to live like this. I'm not saying it's wrong to pray with people and pray for people and lay hands on people, but the most important thing anybody can give to you is your ability to know the word of God and to be able to use it effectively. The same way Jesus said, peace be still, I decree that you will be commanding peace in your domain. In the name of Jesus, the one who has assured that you have victory over the devil, every time you command and rebuke the enemy, the Lord will confirm your word with signs and wonders. In the name of Jesus, rise to your feet and let us talk to God today. Where